Climb aboard the bus and grab your bump One on the bottom is the one you want Let's rock and roll As you roll down the road Plug John Wayne in a VCR Let the driver tell you where you are Life on the road Good morning, sweet, beautiful Texas. One of my favorites from Jerry, Jeff Walker. Kicking things off for us on Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoors show, brought to you by Lone Star Beer and Hot Power Polaris. I'm your host, Cable Smith. So great to be here talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks today. Uh, thanks for sharing a part of your weekend with me, as we have got a great show lined up for you. So let's not waste any time. Y'all know what to do by now. Grab that stool, pull it up a little closer to the old campfire here, pour yourself another cup of coffee, black preferably, <laughs> because we've got so much to get into, and we will kick things off by uh, talking all things turkey hunting with uh, one of the outdoor industry's best. Uh, he's actually uh, a world champion turkey caller. But you probably know him as the face of the bone collector. Michael Waddell will be here. Um, he's got a lot of insight to share with us. How does Michael get those toms that hang up at 70 to 80 yards to finish? Well, Michael will actually uh, blow his calls on the air this morning, give us a little demo of uh, the series of notes he would use to bring those toms within shotgun range. All that, uh, a whole lot more. We'll get into running and gunning, the pros and cons of, of that style of turkey hunting among other things. Uh, so we're looking forward to having Michael join us here in just a little bit. Uh, then we will talk some spring crappie fishing. The spawn is heating up across much of Texas. If they're not spawning in your neck of the woods, uh, they will be shortly. I guarantee you that. But a longtime crappie guide and our good friend Greg Pavor of Pavor Outdoors will be here uh, coming up in just a little bit. And then we'll round out today's broadcast by talking a little bow hunting with the president of the Pope and Young Club, Jim Willems, will be here. And we'll discuss the club's history. Um, most folks don't realize how instrumental the Pope and Young Club was in having uh, bow seasons established throughout much of the country. Back in the 60s and 70s, uh, bow-only seasons were few and far between, and, and people really didn't even think uh, archery tackle was uh, a viable weapon. So we'll get into that as well as the club's record keeping, how to enter an animal uh, into the club's record book, and then uh, this unfortunate elitist attitude that exists within the hunting community. So many people, uh, hunters out there, think their way is the only way or their way is better than everyone else's, uh, and we'll break that down this morning as well. So it uh, should be a great show. I'm certainly looking forward to it. Couple other things to mention here. Uh, don't forget that I will be out at Rudy's Barbecue after the show today. I'll be at the uh, location in Allen, Texas. You can't miss it. It's right in front of Cabela's. I'll be there from 10 to noon. We've got lots of great stuff to give away. Lone Star Outdoor Show t-shirts, stickers, uh, possibly a couple Havilon knives. We'll even raffle off a fishing trip with Captain Lynn Gerard. So we've got a lot going on, plus some great barbecue. Uh, so we'll see you at Rudy's 10 to noon in Allen, Texas today. Uh, come on out. We'll, we'll talk some hunting and fishing. Love to shake your hand and see how your uh, your spring turkey season is going. Uh, one other thing to mention, don't forget our 
photo of the month contest is going on right now. Our April grand prize, get this, it's an STI Trojan 45 ACP 1911 pistol. Uh, this is the signature pistol from STI Guns. And uh, we're going to give this one away to our April photo of the month winner. How do you enter, you ask? Well, all you have to do is email me your best hunting or fishing image to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com. Better yet, post it directly to our Facebook wall, and we will get you entered into this month's contest. A fan vote decides the winner each month, and then uh, our 12 monthly photo contest winners from 2015 will square off at the end of the year for a chance to hunt trophy black buck or axis deer with me down at Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas. So another awesome grand prize hunt package brought to you by Coons Canyon Ranch. We are certainly excited about that. Uh, let's knock out a quick break here. When we come back, it's the bone collector, Michael Waddell. We're talking all things spring turkey. You're listening to Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoor Show. And when my love calls is over, Cable Smith here, and y'all know how much I love our Texas lakes. But what I found recently is that Dallas water supply lakes are way down because of high demand for water combined with the current drought cycle. That's why you have to take a look at brand new Eagle Shores at Lake Bob Sandlin. Lake Bob Sandlin is actually full, and Eagle Shores has stockable acreage property starting at 84.9 during the grand opening. Call 877-9-Lakeside to schedule a visit. That's 877-9-Lakeside, or check out www.eagleshoresTexas.com. Whitetail season has come and gone, y'all, but that doesn't mean it's time to stop hunting. Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas, specializes in exotics such as axis deer and black buck. Coons Canyon offers quality animals at a price the working man can afford. Military personnel, police, and firefighters get 10% off the total price. Lodging is available upon request, as are other exotic species. Visit CoonsCanyonRanch.com for your next exotic trophy hunt. That's CoonsCanyonRanch.com. At LSC Trailer Sales, we offer a full line of utility trailers from small single axle trailers to heavy equipment trailers, ATV trailers, car haulers, landscape trailers, cargo trailers, truck beds, and more. We can special order a custom trailer specific to your needs and have the ability to customize standard models in-house. LSC Trailer Sales is here to assist you with any questions you might have about trailers. Call 940-484-5500 or visit us at lsctrailersales.com. Finally, quality trailers at affordable prices in Dallas-Fort Worth. Are you looking for the perfect place to send your hunting buddy? Then check out Tioga Retrievers. With over 20 years experience, Angie and Tim Becker can provide you with a field champion or a well-rounded hunting companion. Tioga Retrievers takes pride in catering to the needs of each owner and their dog. Conveniently located 45 miles north of DFW in Aubrey, Texas, Tioga Retrievers also offers day training and boarding. Call 940-440-0018 or visit them online at www.tiogaretrievers.com. That's T-I-O-G-A retrievers.com. Honey, don't you be yelling at me when I'm cleaning my gun. I'll wash the blood off the tailgate when deer season's done. We got one more weekend to go, and I'd like to kill one more. 
There's a brand new one from the great James McMurtry bringing us back on Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Copper Canteen is the name of that one. I'm Cable Smith, by the way. Uh, thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. Actually, uh, really quickly here, James McMurtry will be with us next week. Uh, he's an avid hunter and, and fisherman, and we'll, we'll talk some outdoors and take a listen to a couple tunes off of his latest record, uh, Complicated Game. So you won't want to miss that. Anyway, moving right along here, uh, we are about to talk some turkeys with the bone collector himself. Uh, but first... This segment of the show is brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. Uh, I'm proud to be a member. We'd love to have you as well. So to get involved with this organization made up of like-minded folks passionate about hunting and conservation, check us out at biggame.org. Well, uh, if you're like me, you probably are hearing gobbles in your sleep. You might even be so obsessed with turkey hunting uh, that you think you hear them all day long. I know I do. <laughs> uh, but man, it is my favorite time of the year. Actually, that's a bold-faced lie. I love every time of the year because there is always something in season to either catch or kill. And uh, turkey is, is just one of the things that I'm eating up with. Uh, our next guest actually made a name for himself originally by his turkey-calling ability. You probably know him more these days, however, for running broadheads through monster white-tailed deer. Uh, he is basically the face of Outdoor Channel. He's got his own show, Bone Collector, also Real Tree Road Trips. It's my pleasure to welcome Michael Waddell back to the show. Hey, glad to be back, brother. Hey, we are thrilled to have you back. Uh, first of all, how has your turkey season been? It's uh, it's actually been going really well. I mean, obviously... Uh you know, being from the South, man, our season comes in pretty much since the beginning of March. I think it was uh, the first week in March, youth season come in in Alabama. The following weekend, Alabama season did come in for everybody, and then the youth weekend for Georgia. So then the next weekend, obviously, Georgia followed with this opening week. So pretty much it has been wide open. And the first, as usual, you know, when the season seemed to first come in, those old turkeys, don't they don't have them yelping scars on them <laughs> quite as bad as they're getting right now. And so, uh, so actually, the turkeys really worked really good. Actually, the first week of the Alabama season, I went to the Alabama's governor's hunt, and actually, uh, man, just caught some good weather. The turkeys were in a good place as far as, you know, how they were reacting and coming to the calls. They were kind of in big groups and uh, and probably broke a record for me, but we had a lot of different people hunting with us. We had two or three people at a time and, and, and shot seven big, big old easterns in alabama in three days which is which is pretty good when it considering that sometimes the most southern birds can be just completely jerks for lack lack of better words yeah well and there's a little misconception out there when it comes to turkey hunting and, and watching turkey hunting shows uh because we always see the kill and you know the bird gets harvested and that's great but that's far from the reality nine times out of ten uh these birds are gonna win and you're gonna come home empty-handed Oh, I mean, no doubt. I mean, realistically, when you look at a show season of what we do on Bone Collector as well as Road Trips, I mean, truly the shows are just memoirs of spring. And, and luckily, and man, thank the Lord, I'm blessed every day to have a job like this that's, that's you know, promoting hunting. And part of promoting hunting is having an opportunity and go hunting and video it. And so 
every day um, our job is to go out and try to get the best footage possible. And so with that, you go every day. And so at the end of the year, yeah, we'll stack up a lot of turkeys, but but keep in mind, and, and, and obviously, you know, with the people and, and hopefully the fans that watch the show, it, it becomes somewhat of a love-hate because the, the, the love of it is hopefully we can produce some stuff that people really enjoy watching. Um, however, I know that we're very lucky that, pretty much where typically I used to just hunt the weekends. Now I get to hunt pretty much seven days a week, and we're out there trying to document almost like a, uh, feel like Marty Stauffer with a bread of shotgun trying to <laughs> knock them in the head. <laughs> so, so it actually worked out pretty good. But you're right, they win most of the time, but you pick a little bit of something up every time. Right now here in Georgia, man, our turkeys are just coming back alive a little bit. It, they, they've been in a funk. I mean, these hens are just starting to nest, and uh and man, these old gobblers—you know—they don't know where to run in or just stand still. And obviously, they've had spurs dug into them as well as a uh, hunting pressure. So obviously, the turkeys are, are tough right now in the South. And so you'd have to persevere through that. But you just keep picking, and all of a sudden, you know, you'll think that you can't even buy a turkey at Winn Dixie or the grocery store. <laughs> and next thing you know, boom, one gobbles, and you, he's working good, and he comes right in, and he makes a complete. Uh, you know, fool of himself, you know, and comes in there and does everything you'd want him to do. But most of the time, they have, they have the upper hand, and and they win ninety percent of the battles. Yeah, there's no doubt about that, uh, Michael. A lot of our listeners might not be aware uh, that you actually got your start with Realtree, based off the fact that you were an NWTF um, national champion turkey caller. So, what is your biggest strength as uh, someone who can speak the turkey language? Well, I mean, obviously, you know, I heard Preston Pittman say one time, and obviously, uh, you know, right there, the listeners in Texas, man, Texas is just a phenomenal state when it comes to the amount of turkeys, especially when you start getting out, you know, in South Texas, Southwest Texas, a lot of turkeys, and and um, but you know, calling is just one small part about it, and I, I was just addicted to turkey hunting as soon as I tried it, and so obviously, I, I didn't try to get good on a mouth call you know, to, to hopefully win contests at the time, I just wanted to trick a turkey because <laughs> our turkeys were tough. And so, uh, and through that, you get better and better. And I had a lot of cool people around me that were really good turkey hunters and callers, people like Ricky Joe Bishop, uh, Joe Drake. Um, and, and through, you know, hearing those guys call, I had a chance to, to work with them and, and, and actually hunt with them. And so I learned so much just being out there and calling and hunting. And, and it definitely, you know, being a good caller, I definitely think gives you an edge because obviously it gives you a realism it gives you it gives you you understand the cadence the rhythm you understand what you're saying it's almost like you're talking in a different language and it just happens to be turkey and so the better you can become as a caller no doubt it it ups your confidence and it doesn't mean just because you know you win a world championship that every time you call turkeys are going to come running because turkeys obviously have a social structure i'm convinced that they know each other and so you're intruding in on that you're trying to talk as close to what uh, the the flock sounds like, especially the hens, and so it definitely just gives you the confidence. And I think in anything you do in life, you know, in hunting is just one of them, especially turkey hunting. If you have the confidence in what you're doing and what you're saying and how you're moving through the woods and and you're calling, every little thing that adds a confidence to you personally is going to help you be successful. And I found that not only in just in, in hunting but in life in general. And so mm-hmm. calling definitely gave me confidence to to be a better turkey hunter. Right on, and. and- Michael, I know that you primarily use a diaphragm, but do you still carry a slate or a box call in your turkey vest? You know, it's funny. In the South, primarily, I just use a mouth call. I, I'm actually pretty lean and mean, just pretty much carry a, a lanyard with my 
with a little call caddy on my on my neck and and I just have mouth calls and usually I'm running and gunning with a with a strutter decoy uh, is 90% of what I hunt with. Um, however, when I hunt Texas and even Merriam's out west, I always feel like I need a really good glass call and uh, um, and a good striker so I can get those higher pitch cadences and also to cut through that wind. And it seems like just the glass calls work really good uh, because obviously the hens have a little tinier pitch to them and it gives you a more realistic sound um, than than what I would call that old Alabama swamp hen that's just raspy and nasty and, and uh, cutting down, you know. So it's a, it's a little bit different sound. However, the same sounds, if you're from the south and you hunt Texas, you can you know, use the same calls to, to be successful. But I definitely like a glass when I go to Texas. Uh-huh. Well, um, why don't you uh, – I know I asked you to, to grab your calls there. Uh, maybe give us an, a, a sample of, say, that gobbler's hung out at, at – you know, 60, 70 yards, he just won't come within range. You're trying to get him to close that, you know, 30, 40 extra yards, especially when you're filming. I mean, you got to get him in close. So um, what kind of sounds, maybe, you know, uh, putts or purrs or whatever, you know, give us an, an example of what you would use to try to coax that, that wily old Tom into shotgun range. Well, that's, that's the beauty of, uh, you know, a mouth call. Obviously, you can just make real soft, subtle calls without any movement. And And a lot of times, you know, you know, by rule, you always hear that, you know, that clucks and purrs is a great sound to make when you're trying to bring that turkey in. And, and it, however it does, it's, it is a great call to use. Um, but I obviously, a cluck and a purr is one of the toughest calls to really get really solid and good at on a mouth call. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times, you know, I tell people to get learn how to call real soft and subtle on real sweet yelps, you know, soft yelps, because... Um, I'm convinced that calling too much isn't as big a problem as calling too loud. And if you listen to a hen turkey walking through the woods, or even when she's calling to a gobbler, she's suddenly making soft, sweet noises all the time. So I try to do something like this if he's hung up just out of range. lot of times uh you know this those real soft yelps little soft subtle yelps you know and and obviously you can make those on a glass call Mm -hmm. or a slate call the the tough thing about doing that is just you're not 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 having movement but at the same time if you got two people you know falling in behind uh you, you know you can do that but just those soft subtle stuff and then a lot of times when i'm working a turkey if i can just get him if he's gobbling at me a lot of times I'll just try to reverse it to where rather than me calling to get him to respond to me, I almost try to reverse the role that when he gobbles I'm responding back to him, you know, and, and I'll let him know if I'm if I'm uh if I'm calling real soft and subtle and I get a gobble, you know, something like this. Maybe he gobbles. I'll immediately I let him know that I heard you, big boy. You know, immediately, and I'll call back to him. Maybe not go crazy, but no different than in life. And I think, I think you know, it's just important to realize this. It sounds crazy, but you know, a lot of times this turkey language is it's real similar to how we talk. And um, mm-hmm. and so that's what I love about the turkey hunting part of it is you get an opportunity to to really carry on a conversation. That don't mean that you can make that gobbler come within range, but you certainly can have a conversation as well as with the hens in the area when they start calling back to you. So you're trying to reverse the role you re- and always realize you're intruding. You're trying to, 
you're saying something, and immediately you're a stranger. That sound that they hear, even as good as it sounds, they know it's a stranger. No different if there's a if there's a strange woman in your house and she's in the back bedroom. There's a certain tentative, you know, to a tentativeness of us running through the house. We're going like, what you know, what's going on? And <laughs> yeah. and obviously keeping in mind that you know these gobblers know that there's other gobblers around that's trying to breed this uh, this hen, and they know a lot of times that they just got beat up the day before. So. There's so many things going through these gobblers' mind as you're calling to them. So the more you can check that turkey's temperature and understand what's going on, definitely trying your best to have just a solid conversation and convince him that everything's cool or you're sexy and or maybe you're promising something that's just something he's never even heard of. I don't know, you know. So, so you're definitely trying to sound as sexy and convincing as you can. Um, well, you mentioned uh, Preston Pittman earlier. He's won, oh gosh, I don't know how many national championships. Uh, but uh, we had him on the air last year, and he actually gobbled with his mouth. I, I don't. I, it was beyond me how he was able to make that sound. <laughs> and I'm not going to ask you to do that. But I was going to ask you: Do you ever implore the gobble, um, or is that something that you you know you really don't think is that important? You know, I I can't say that I never have. I have. Um, but it's not something that I pretty much have in my arsenal of, of calls that, that I'm trying to use or do. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it certainly can work. Uh, I would consider myself a pretty aggressive, non-patient turkey hunter. <laughs> I think a little bit of that is because of just the element of work that we try to do in trying to get these turkey footage. You know, we're trying to find a turkey that's over-aggressive, and we're very impatient. And typically, a lot of times, we only have one or two mornings to try to get some footage or a good hunt. So a lot of times we're very aggressively going through properties uh, trying to, to find that turkey that wants to dance to dance. And so uh, so most of the time we stick just to the hen calls, but I have used gobbler calls. I've definitely used fighting and purrs at times, especially as a last resort when I'm trying to get that turkey to break in, um, and, and, and definitely had success. But um, from the standpoint of just calls, I'm pretty old-fashioned, just yelping, cutting, you know, excited hen yips and, and, and trying to move in and get as close as I can. A lot of times I'll move real soft through the woods um, and, and walking. Obviously, this, you know, one thing that's dangerous about turkey hunting is walking through the woods calling. You definitely are creating that illusion. It's a, a human being walking through the woods sounds just like big three-toed turkey walking through the woods. And so <laughs> a lot of times I'll move real soft. Obviously, that isn't as, as much of an element when you're say in Texas, uh, or in South Texas, but, you know, over in East Texas where there's a lot of trees and stuff, obviously you can certainly hear the leaves and the crunching, and you can use you walking through a hardwood forest or that as a call, as an advantage, and just subtle clucks and yelps as you're walking to them, and sometimes that's all it takes. You can get as close as you can, push in there, sit down, and so many times I've had it, that gobbler just can't stand it, and he, he gets over-anxious and comes right in. Well, Michael, uh, really enjoying the conversation this morning. However, we do need to work in a quick break. Still a lot of stuff I want to get into, pros and cons of running and gunning versus uh, just sitting still. Uh, You know, how long will you sit in one spot? Plus, I'd like to get in a little decoy discussion as well. Uh, Are you cool to stick around for a few more minutes? My phone bill's paid. I'll stick right here, brother. (laughs) Perfect. And that segment, by the way, proudly brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the best way to cool down after a long Hot day in the turkey woods? Grab an ice-cold Lone Star beer. Remember to drink responsibly. Lone Star beer, the national beer of Texas. Let's knock out a quick break. When we come back, we continue talking Thunder Chickens with the Bone Collector only on DSC's Lone Star Outdoor Show. friends, good friends, friends for 
Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. If you're in the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas-Lewisville, Bobcat of Fort Worth, and Bobcat of Longview. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000 today. At LSC Trailer Sales, we offer a full line of utility trailers from small single axle trailers to heavy equipment trailers, ATV trailers, car haulers, landscape trailers, cargo trailers, truck beds, and more. We can special order a custom trailer specific to your needs and have the ability to customize standard models in-house. LSC Trailer Sales is here to assist you with any questions you might have about trailers. Call 940-484-5500 or visit us at lsctrailersales.com. Finally, quality trailers at affordable prices in Dallas-Fort Worth. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The System Hog Trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The System is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Hey, North Texas sports fans. This is Brian Spagnola, general manager of Texas Motorcars in Addison. My family's been in the car business for over 50 years, and I want to show you the difference in buying from a family-owned and operated business. TexasMotorcars.com is an awesome website that lets you do virtually all of your shopping online. We have a professional photographer that takes amazing photos, and we give you all the information that you'll need up front. You can even find out how much we will give you for your trade-in before you ever come in. I take pride in the fact you can come in, choose a car, and be out in less than an hour. We have financing rates starting at 1.79% on pre-owned vehicles and can help almost anybody. Please do yourself a favor. If you're in the market for a pre-owned vehicle of any kind, give us a shot. Let me show you how easy buying a vehicle should be. Visit TexasMotorCars.com or come visit our 20,000-square-foot indoor showroom in Addison. Again, visit TexasMotorCars.com or call us at 1-888-9-TX-MOTORS. So here's another sad song. I'm going to spin them all day long. I may lose this job, but I've already lost everything. Melanie, if you're tuned in right now, it's not too late to turn around. We can work this out. I swear we can work it out. All right. One of my favorites there from Chuck Allen Floyd bringing us back on Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoors show. Brought to you by Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. I'm your host, Cable Smith. We are talking spring turkey hunting with the great Michael Waddell this morning. But before we pick it back up with Michael, uh, this segment of the show, proudly forever last, a family-owned and operated Texas-based company that 
has a great lineup of unique hunting and fishing related products. Go to their website and check them out at foreverlast.com to see for yourself. Especially all you turkey hunters, this is the time of year where snakes are out. And uh, I can't imagine anything worse than getting bit by a rattle bug. Uh, so check out their snake guard shields. And we're actually going to give a pair away right now uh, to the third person to text in the word foreverlast. That's foreverlast to 214-289-7807. Text in foreverlast and you could win uh, your own pair of foreverlast snake guard shields. Forever last, where we live hunting and fishing. Well, without further ado, uh, let's go ahead and pick it back up with Michael, who was nice enough to stick around through the break. Uh, Y'all probably know him as the Bone Collector, uh, his hit show on Outdoor Channel by the same name. Also, uh, Realtree Road Trips as well. And uh, Michael, you and I both like to run and gun. Uh, That's how we like to hunt turkey. I just have more success that way, and I'm very impatient. I can't sit in a blind all day and wait for a turkey to come to me. <laughs> and, yeah, there's a lot of great footage out there of guys, especially bow hunters, that kill turkeys that way, uh, but it's not my cup of tea. And and I know that that's not the way that you like to hunt them. Yeah, we, we might get busted uh, more times than not, but nothing gets my blood flowing like taking a walk through the turkey woods and striking up a conversation with a mature old Tom. Well, I, I mean, I think I think the disadvantage that you have with running and gunning is just what you just said. You're you're going to get busted. Uh, just this morning, we got busted by a turkey. We we was running and gunning. I had a bad boy buggy. We're cruising. We got the cameraman on the back. We're trying to trying to find some footage, and so we're we're stopping every hundred yards, calling down in bottoms and off the edges of fields and select cuts, trying to get a turkey to gobble. Um, I had seen a lot of turkey sign this area, and and uh, had trail cam pictures on food plots of turkeys. And, man, I had went to little strategic places and called, and I, I eased around the corner, and guess what? There's a longbeard standing <laughs> right there in a select cut, just standing there. Never had gobbled. From where I called from, wasn't 200 yards, 150 yards from him. Clear, clear path as far as the sound making it to him. He could have easily gobbled, and I would showered down really good because I'd seen a lot of gobbler sign in this area. So the run-and-gun method certainly didn't work to my advantage in this situation. I don't know if this turkey would have come or not. However, you know, looking back and looking at the old-timey way of turkey hunting, I could have probably eased up in that area, slipped up, knew I didn't, you know, spook anything, sat down, started calling soft and subtle. I might have had a chance at that long beard. I don't know what kind of footage I'd have got. Would he have come slipping in, just looking and periscoping? So there's there's a lot of different elements to it. Um, But I think the biggest you know, tip I can give any turkey hunter is don't get tunnel vision as the way you got to kill turkey. And going back to Preston Pittman, and and obviously I know you like Preston, and and uh, he I've always liked Preston. His personality's fun. He's he's a good turkey hunter. He said something in the seminar one time when I was a kid that I listened to. He said turkey calling is just one element of turkey hunting. He said, and it's a great tool to have. He said, but remember, it's turkey hunting, not turkey calling. And so I remember hearing that and thinking even further that my job is is to basically to enjoy the spring woods for myself. And hunting gives us a chance at times to be a little selfish. So just what you said, you're, you're a hunter who loves to run and gun. I'm a hunter that likes to run and gun. I like to see the woods. I like to walk through the spring woods. I like to be able to, to, to see the different things. I get a chance to deer hunt a lot during the fall, and I get to sit four and five, six hours at a time in one spot looking mm-hmm. at the same tree, praying for a deer to come by. And so with that, 
springtime comes around and I'm I'm anxious, I'm rambunctious, I'm ready to walk, I'm ready to cross creeks and and go up in the edges of hills and 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 see stuff and look for shed antlers and look for old deer sign too. So a lot of times I'm trudging through the woods. And so I think the biggest thing is is enjoy the just get out there and, and obviously we're trying to kill a turkey, but just enjoy the woods, enjoy the springtime, enjoy you know being able to to look at hunting a lot different. So uh, there's times uh, that I'm completely exhausted. I was we was talking to our producer Jason Heathcote yesterday, and and it's funny. I said you know really we're probably better off just go sit down where some of these this turkey sign is and just sit here and wait. And I said, however, early in the season, we're not completely worn out enough to do that. And so many times as the season gets on and you still got commitments to take people hunting and different hunts that you've committed to, uh, you know, I, I donate a lot of days and, and time to the NWTF where we get a chance to auction those hunts off and take people hunt hunting. And a lot of times it ain't just about shooting a turkey. It's about spending time out there and talking and answering questions. And uh, and so many times I've been so worn out that that typical run and gun where you maybe ride around for five hours trying to strike a turkey or versus walk around for a couple hours. You'll just sit down on the edge of a little food plot and call a little bit. And to be honest with you, I have been completely sound asleep when I hear the sound of spitting and drumming. And a couple times I have been woke up to the sound of shotgun blast when I was, you know, supposed to be the head nacho guide, oh, oh expert caller, what else? And I'm sitting back in the edge of a, you know, bar patch completely asleep, man. I, I didn't, I'm trying to kill an hour or two because I'm tired. And so... You know, you find success a lot of different ways, and I think that's the biggest thing is keep an open mind and try to find new tips and tactics that work for you. And you'll find that there's so many new things as far as the way you can use your decoys, the way you can get aggressive, the way you can close in, move, crawl, um, and you still have the traditional standard way that we all read, Turkey 101, of, of, of how to turkey hunt. So that's what I love about turkey hunting. There's no one way to do it correct. And uh, and like you said, they win most of the time, but you can always find a little little things that you can kind of chisel away, you know, and manipulate them so you can finally put one in the back of your truck. Right on, right on. Well, hey, uh, just a couple more things here before I uh, let you go. Um, you mentioned earlier, and I thought this was very insightful, uh, a lot of people say don't overcall, don't call too much. Well, you said hey, you don't think that it, that's really the issue. It's, you know, how loud you're calling. It may be calling more frequently, but with a softer pitch um, isn't such a bad thing. So, when you're sitting in a spot and, you know, you're making a stand, maybe you've put out a decoy, how often will you call? Is it every couple minutes or – because I know and I've hunted with people that just get so impatient, they rip that box call out and they just start wailing away. And it seems like every 30 seconds they're just going to town. And I'm just like, hey, you know, shut up for a second. Right. I, I do feel that, that doing it that way is too much. And, and I think you just have to really think hard. I, I think sometimes people think about – calling and they think about whether it's a time limit or it's a you know okay every two minutes i need to call and i need to administer three yips and two clucks and a few cutting <laughs> I, I again i think the cool thing you know once you become a turkey hunter who who engrosses himself in the woods you actually will become that hen and you got to realize well why am i set up and what is the illusion i'm creating by sitting here in the same place and calling you know right now i think um, based on where we at in Georgia, these hen, there's hens everywhere. Like I rode around this morning, and they were literally single off hens in a couple different places. And when, when you see that, it's those hens are not moving far. They're definitely on the edge of nesting. They're they're looking for their cover, and some could already be starting to nest. So with that, 
if you pay attention, a lot of times you'll get those nesting hens to call back to you, and they'll still be in the same spot there. And so I think when you're set up and you are relaxing and you're still hunting, kind of, you know, or just standing in one spot, calling subtle, I think calling too loud is a huge mistake. If you call too loud all the time, however, when you're sitting there calling, sometimes, especially if you're not in the blind, I think you do need to every once in a while as you subtly set up a more aggressive, loud call. You know, maybe just a. But mm-hmm. if you just steady doing that, sometimes that old gobbler comes slipping in quiet. And a lot of times, you know, you're sitting there calling. You might want to get a little louder and build into that cadence just to try to get a turkey to gobble if he's closed in on you didn't know it. Because at that point, if that turkey's come that far to the call, he's probably coming all the way in. So it's, 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 sometimes it's cool to go ahead and maybe choke that gobble out of him just so you can be ready to get your gun barrel on him. But I do think that calling too much, too loud, and putting a time limit and being stale with your presentation, I definitely think some of those long turkeys can figure out that that just doesn't seem kosher, it doesn't seem right. Because even a hen that's nesting, that's walking around subtle, subtle yelping and clucking, and, and you can definitely hear that illusion that, man, I think there's an old nesting hen. How many times you've been set up and it's like, man, there's a hen over there. She ain't moved at all. She's just walking around. Well, a gobbler sees the same thing. So that's obviously, if you're going to sit there and call, that's certainly the uh, the illusion that you're trying to paint for that gobbler and, and definitely try to coax them in range. And so, uh, But if you're just sitting there sawing away every 30 seconds on a box call, seeing how loud you can make it, <laughs> I definitely think, like, what in the world is that? You know, and, and so... Uh, I definitely don't think that's a good tactic to use. Yeah, right on, right on. But yeah, and that that is the one thing about making a, a you know a prolonged sit is I hate getting up because so many times too that that silent old Tom has has worked his way in and uh, you know you move and he has you made and you didn't know he was there so you know that's part of the no game doubt. as well. And you know it's something that doesn't get talked about enough to me when you know when you hear about turkey hunting a lot of times people think turkeys are so you know, pressured when it comes to other hunters. And and certainly, a lot of them certainly are, and they get call shy. But turkeys themselves are really tough on each other. I mean, there's certainly a pecking order, and there's definitely subordinate, there's definitely aggressive turkeys. I've always thought that the easiest turkey in the world to kill was a dominant old turkey who is by himself and lonely, who has always beat up every other gobbler in the area, who has all the hens and is not used to ever being alone, or having other gobblers in his area. That turkey will typically decoy great. He'll usually always gobble and respond to a call and come if he's by himself. Doesn't mean he won't hang up out there 50, 60 yards and, and evaluate the situation. But sometimes these subordinate turkeys, these two-year-old longbeards that we think are the easiest to kill, they can be. But also, even amongst the two-year-olds, if there's four or five two-year-olds been hanging together all fall, Man, they spur each other, and they definitely knock sparks from each other and push each other in different areas. And sometimes it might be two that become buddies or they're brothers, and they just beat the cornbread heck out of everything around there. And it makes other turkeys very worried of, of gobbling and coming to that call. So a lot of times these turkeys just being real weird and funny to the call, sometimes they're definitely trying to be sneaky. It's uh, you got to keep in mind they're trespassing. This is like a guy who's basically in somebody else's yard talking smack and deciding to come in and to whisper sweet nothings to somebody else's, you know, wife or girlfriend. And so he knows that. He is very aware of that. And it's a dog-eat-dog world. So, you know, keep in mind trying to figure out what kind of 
social status that the turkey you're working has, and that'll help you identify how to work them and how you need to slide in closer or shut up or ease in, you know, quieter or, or, or shut up and let let him get to worry gobbling a little bit. Maybe maybe sometimes these gobblers, that they heard all this commotion and hen cutting and cackling or, or cutting and yelping, and once the commotion has died down, Maybe that's when he comes slipping in because he's thinking, okay, the flock moved on, but I just want to see how they were partying up here. I'm going to check the party out. I mean, I've seen that happen too. So there's so many different things. And I think for me, and I know talking to you, I mean, that's what I love about turkey hunting. It has so many different things. And you're you're basically an artist trying to create this illusion of, of basically infiltrating yourself into a flock that's in this property and become one of them. And obviously you're just trying to get them in range so you can – collect a beard and spurs and some some meat to put in the peanut oil so i I find that (laughs) one of the funnest things to do well it really is the greatest game that spring offers the outdoorsman or woman chasing gobblers i tell you what uh but hey michael you've been uh great this morning thanks so much for your time we do appreciate it it's been too long my friend uh folks y'all remember set your dvrs for bone collector airing right now on outdoor channel mondays 7 p.m central Of course, Realtree Road Trips will be back on uh, quarter three, so look for that coming up in June and July as well. And then, uh, Michael, folks can find you uh, not only on your website, uh, bonecollector.com, but uh, you're also on social media if folks want to follow you there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, You can go to Michael Waddell's Bone Collector uh, Facebook page. Nick and T-Bone both have a Facebook page. I also have uh, a Twitter handle uh, at Boogerbottom is is where that's at. So definitely check that out. We we're real active, man. We re- we really love sharing on social media and uh, getting back with all the people, man. We have a good time with that. Appreciate you, brother. Hey, thank you, man. Glad to be on again. All right, there he goes, Michael Waddell of the Bone Collector Crew. Uh, always insightful stuff when you're talking turkeys with one of the best. Uh, That segment of the show proudly brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit, who since 1917 has assured its borrowers competitive interest rates on real estate loans, rural home loans, livestock, and farm and ranch loans. Let Lone Star Ag Credit help you finance your piece of Texas by going to LoneStarAgCredit.com. Let's knock out a quick break. When we come back, we'll get into one of my other favorite bounties that comes with each passing spring. The crappie are moving shallow, and we'll get into their spawn next. With longtime crappie guide Greg Pavor, you're listening to DSC's Lone Star Outdoor Show. My father had a Randall knife. My mother gave it to him. When he went off to World War II to save us all from ruin. Now, if you've ever held a Randall knife, you know my father well. Cable Smith here for Deerview Windows. As a whitetail hunter, nothing is more frustrating than poor visibility in a deer blind. It can flat ruin a hunt. At Deerview Window Company, they manufacture windows solely for the use in deer stand and deer blinds. All of their windows and doors can be custom made to fit your specific openings. Or you can select from standard sizes from hinged windows to sliding windows and everything in between. Visit DeerviewWindows.com to determine which style window is best for your deer blind. Plus, you'll get a free quote. Deerview Windows, where visibility matters. 
Cable Smith here, and y'all know how much I love our Texas lakes. But what I found recently is that Dallas water supply lakes are way down because of high demand for water combined with the current drought cycle. That's why you have to take a look at brand new Eagle Shores at Lake Bob Sandlin. Lake Bob Sandlin is actually full, and Eagle Shores has stockable acreage property starting at 849 during the grand opening. Call 877-9 Lakeside to schedule a visit. That's 877-9 Lakeside, or check out www.eagleshoresTexas.com. Rockwall Gun Club is North Texas' premier shooting facility, offering both indoor and outdoor ranges, including a unique 500-yard rifle range. If shotgunning's your thing, then check out the 18-station clay course. Opening summer 2014, Rockwall Gun Club is offering special introductory, family, and corporate membership rates for founding members. Located at 15950 State Highway 205, you can also visit rockwallgunclub.com or call 972-215-6902. Rockwall Gun Club, the private shooting experience. At Frost, we could talk to you about our 24-7 online banking. Or we could talk to you about our more than 1,100 ATMs across Texas. We can even talk to you about our mobile banking app that lets you pay bills, transfer funds, and deposit checks from anywhere. But at the end of the day, there's nothing we enjoy more than to just talk to you. Thank you for calling Frost. How may I help you? We're here with the technology and convenience you want and the service you deserve. Frost. Banking. Investments. Insurance. Larson Electronics is a Texas-based lighting company that's been outfitting the United States military since the 1960s. And while they continue to support our troops, they also now have over 200 lights ideal for your hunting and fishing needs. Like the 35-watt HID camouflage Go Light Striker with remote that's 15 million candle power in the palm of your hand. Ideal for predator and hog hunting, they also have remote-controlled floodlights, feeder lights, and LED boat lights. Visit LarsonElectronics.com and go Texan with Larson Electronics for all your lighting needs. Back to Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoors show brought to you by Lone Star Beer and Ha Power Polaris. Uh, that is Brandy Carlisle's Wherever Is Your Heart. Great tune there. Uh, thank you so much for being here with me today as uh, we are about to talk a little spring crappie fishing. Uh, but first, a couple things. Uh, we are giving away an autographed, tournament worn Kevin Van Dam Major League Fishing jersey this morning. Uh, actually, we're not giving it away this morning. We are giving it away today, however. And here's what I want you to do. Uh, when Major League Fishing comes on today at 1 o'clock Central Time on Outdoor Channel, uh, you need to take a picture of yourself. That's right. Call it a selfie or maybe have your wife or girlfriend or, heck, even your kiddo take a picture of you watching Major League Fishing. Then post that on our Facebook wall. If you're not on Facebook, email it to me at LoneStarOutdoorsShow at gmail.com. And you could win this KVD autographed, tournament-worn Major League Fishing jersey. Uh, obviously, <laughs> this would make a pretty sweet addition to anyone's man cave. Heck, I thought about keeping it for myself, but uh, no, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that to y'all. So anyway, shoot us over a little proof that you tuned in to Major League Fishing today, and uh, you could win this KVD autographed jersey. Well, without further delay, uh, let's check in with a longtime friend of ours. We actually met 
at a sporting goods store, oh, uh, probably a decade or so ago, and we were checking out teal decoys. Uh, been duck hunting and fishing buddies ever since then. And so uh, it's my pleasure to welcome back our good friend and longtime crappie guide, Greg Pavor of Pavor Outdoors. Good morning, Cable. Hey, brother. Great to have you. Uh, man, I can't wait for our turkey hunt next weekend. Yeah, I am too. You know, I've been seeing these big toms strutting around, and uh, I think it's going to be a good weekend and excited to do a little turkey calling with you. Well, I don't want to jinx this, man, but I have a good feeling that uh, a couple toms will breathe their last. Uh, I mean, you've got 1,200 acres of prime habitat out there uh, and also your hunting lodge in Seymour, Texas, and we'll have a good time no matter what. Uh, But, Greg, obviously things that go hand-in-hand with spring, turkey hunting, and spawning fish, whether you're chasing sand bass up the creeks, sight casting to largemouths on their beds, or... You're hitting up the spring crappie spawn, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And by most accounts, uh, just from what other folks have told me uh, and what they've seen across the state, is it's been a pretty inconsistent spring spawn. And I think a lot of that goes back to the really cold and late winter uh, that we had here in Texas, where you know we had snow and ice storms well into March. It was so cold. You know, we had such a cold February. Um, and now a lot of this warm weather, I'm talking, you know, 80 degree days, almost hitting 90 and it's just gone from so, so cold to so hot so quickly. Um, it has kind of messed up the crappie spawn so far, but, um, there's a lot of good crappie to be caught right now. They're starting to really turn on. Right. Well, hey, the first thing that happens every spring is, you know, the sand bass start running up the creeks. Then the crappie aren't usually too far behind them. So what water temperature are you looking for as an indicator that the crappie should be turning on? Well, when the water temperatures really hit 60, um, they're definitely starting. Those males will start to move up and make the beds. Um Right now, the water temperature's been around 65. I've even seen 72. Um, so they're they're heating up really quick with these warm nights in the upper 40s, low 50s. Really uh, gets the water temperature pretty warm. And if you're finding 65, 70 degree water, them crappie are definitely starting to spawn. It's just a matter of finding them. The lakes have come up a lot here uh, in the past month. Some of them have. Some of them haven't. But the lakes that have come up quite a bit. I was on Ray Roberts here last weekend, and, you know, it's about five and a half foot low, but it's come up. And there's so many areas for the crappie to spawn and, new, you know, some new vegetation and in the water and stuff that it's finding that one cove, that one creek that really has a lot of crappie concentrated in it. Yeah, and that can be easier said than done. I mean, traditional crappie haunts are, well, let's just put it this way. I had a buddy go out on Lake Levon last week, and that's a great crappie lake. They came home without catching a single crappie, and the reason why is because there's so much good new habitat available that the crappie were so spread out, they just couldn't get on them. Yes, um, that's that's one problem. It, you know, it's good for the fishery. It's it's good for the crappie. It's good for the springtime spawn, um, but it makes it harder on the fishermen. No doubt about it. Well, hey, uh, Greg, 
backing up to these fish and how they stage as they prepare to spawn. Obviously, the males move into the shallows uh, first, um, but maybe some Texas lakes, especially here in North Texas, are are seven to ten days away from really going strong as far as the spawn is concerned. What depth are you targeting for those fish that are just right there on the cusp of moving into a foot or two foot of water? Well, mainly right now, I've been I've been catching mostly males um, coming in, making the beds, and the females will be right behind them. And if you're not catching them real shallow, if you're not finding them real shallow, um, ease out a little bit, maybe five, ten foot. If you get some structure, some um, trees or riprap. Um, right now, I've been catching them up in the creeks. And the creeks are good. Uh, if you find some riprap that's out of the wind, the key is it's been so windy here lately that find find those coves, find those creeks that are out of the wind, that are soaking up the evening sun and are heating up in the best bite early in the morning, late in the evening, just because these days have been so hot during the middle of the day. So the morning and the evening bites the best. And Greg, you mentioned to me off the air that you can really wear them out at night right now if, if you want to do some night fishing. Yeah, you know, with the full moon here um, in the warm nights, once you get these nights getting real warm, a lot of those crappie, they will spawn at night and move up these creeks at night. You could almost, if, if you're looking to take out your 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 son or daughter and want to go catch a, a mess of crappie, you could almost go to any creek right now at nighttime, buy you some minnows and put them, float them underneath corks, and you're gonna catch something. You're gonna you're gonna go home with a few fish at least, right? Because um, they are moving a lot at night right now. Well, okay, you mentioned obviously minnows. I mean, that's everybody's uh, favorite. You know, Grant, that's Grandpa's crappie bait right there. Um, it's a safe, it's a safe bait. It's hard to, it's hard for a crappie to pass up a minnow swimming by. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no doubt. Uh, but let's talk a little artificial here. Um, vertical jigging is is also very prominent uh, this time of year. When you are using the vertical jigging approach, though. Talk about your setup as far as, you know, what pound test you like. You know, some people use a spinning reel. Others use just a jigging pole with, with no kind of reel at all. Uh, what, what do you like to use? Well, the reel I don't think is really uh, a crucial element. Um, the rod, I like to use 10, 12-foot rods. You want to stay away from what you're fishing. You don't want to disturb, um, say, the tree or the bank or anywhere where you're fishing. So the longer rod re- allows you to reach out there and vertical fish and not disturb the area. Um, Pound-wise line, I like six-pound fluorocarbon. Um, I do lose a lot of, you'll lose a lot of big bass and and uh, other fish. They'll break you off, but using a six-pound fluorocarbon for those crappie, um, sometime if you find some of these creeks that are real rocky, they have clear water. Um, and if you're using braid or real thick monofilament, they will see it. Uh-huh. And, um, I, you know, I've fished so many people that they'll have a thicker line or something. I'll put on a six pound fluorocarbon leader for them and they'll start catching fish. Uh, color wise for jigs, I like red chartreuse, blue chartreuse, black chartreuse. Um, those are all, those are all pretty good. Rocky top jigs, I do like those. 
feeling that thump, it's it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And sometimes if you got the minnows to do with you, you can tip your jig with the minnow. Yep, that uh, that's a little secret old Paulo beer. The the you probably know him. He's a he keeps winning these crappie anglers of Texas angler of the year titles hand over fist every year. It seems like. Oh, he's a great fisherman. Yeah, he's a good guy. Yeah, but uh, we went out to Lake Fork a couple years ago, and that was the first time I'd seen that. And oh my gosh, we wore him out. Big crappie too. <laughs> cool. Yeah, that's a, that's an awesome lake. A lot of big crappie over there. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, hey, um, I know that you, you fish, like you said, you're up in the North Texas area sometimes. You're also out West a little bit. Um, you've got a cool thing going on right now, a cast and blast. If you want to go catch some crappie, uh, then also come home and come back to the lodge and shoot a hog. Uh, you've got that going on. So where can folks find you though? Well, people can find me on uh, Facebook at Pavor Outdoors. That's P-A-V-U-R Outdoors. Um, I post, I try to be real recent on there, post what's going on, how's the fishing, how's the hunting. Um, my website also, www.poutdoors.com. You can find me on there. They can give me a call at 940-206-6375. And like I say, we're doing a lot of cast and blast trips. People come out, crappie fishing, cat fishing, hog hunting, turkey hunting provide lodging meals everything well great stuff brother uh last thing before i let you go how long will the spawn last i mean when will these fish be done and moving back out uh it really depends on the weather uh we've got some rain here coming and that can offset them a little bit if these creeks get uh flowing pretty pretty good if we keep getting eight degree days it'll probably be a quick and fast and furious spawn this year well, all right, Greg. Hey, thanks again for your time today, man, and uh, look forward to chasing those long beards with you next weekend. Oh, you bet, Cable. It'll be a lot of fun, and uh, look forward to hunting with you. Take care. Thank you. All right, there he goes, our good friend Greg Pavor of Pavor Outdoors. Uh, and that segment, by the way, proudly brought to you by Sendero Seed Company, Texas' premier seed company. They've got anything and everything you need to keep a happy and healthy whitetail herd, including the Dr. Deer-backed Buck Forge Oats. Check them out at SenderoSeed.com or call Rob Hughes at one 610 seed today. Let's take a quick break when we come back. Uh, Pope and Young Club President Jim Willems will be here, and we'll get into all things bow hunting coming up only on DSC's Lone Star Outdoor Show. A little more give and take, a little more gas than rate. Really all I'm asking for is a little more crown than coke. Cable Smith here with my good friend Craig Smith, owner of Game Guard Outdoors. And you know, Craig, Game Guard Camouflage has been concealing Texas hunters for over a decade now. And this fall, we're equally as excited about the brand new and revolutionary Gulf Coast Cooler, uh, the first modular cooler system ever to hit the market. Yeah, Cable, we're excited about it. It truly is a modular system. And now a guy doesn't have to have three or four different coolers. He can have one cooler that he can attach another one to it. We have wheel wheel attachments that snap onto the cooler to get it to and from the boat and with a lot more attachments to follow this season. Well, we're certainly looking forward to using ours in the field this fall. And Cable, we want to we want to thank our customers again. This is our 11th season and, and uh, things just keep getting better and we appreciate every one of them. Well, we appreciate you, Craig. And for more information, y'all visit gulfcoastcooler.com. Hi, I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. 
As a member, you'll receive Game Trails Magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. BioBore EB is the premier gasoline additive that combats the negative effects ethanol has on an engine. Its comprehensive formula is designed to protect marine engines and marine environments, yet also works great in all two- and four-stroke engines. It prevents phase separation and ethanol-related engine problems while stabilizing fuel for 18 months. BioBore's detergents also clean the entire fuel system of carbon and varnishes. BioBore EB has the best treat rate in the industry. One ounce treats an amazing 15 gallons of gas. Available at your local sporting goods store or visit BioBore.com today. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Please keep buying your Polaris products from us. Send us your friends, your neighbors, all your hunting buddies, and I promise we'll keep giving the best deals on a brand new Polaris in all of Texas. Whether you're looking for a Polaris for work or play, whether you need a regular Ranger or maybe a Ranger Crew, an RZR, they've got an all-new Ace that you need to come test drive. We've also got four-wheelers from a youth model all the way up to the all-new Sportsman 1000. For your Polaris headquarters, Hoff Powers Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas is who you need to see all or get on the web and contact today. You can check us out at hpolaris.com. That's H's in Hoff Power, polaris.com. Or you can come see us at Highway 84 West in Gulfway, Texas. And folks, Hoff Powers has been in Central Texas for over 50 years now, and we couldn't have stuck around this long if we were steering you wrong. Hey, hey, Washington, that's the latest from Kevin Deal bringing us back on Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoors show brought to you by Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. Cable Smith riding shotgun with you. Thank you so much for letting me spend a part of your weekend with you. I do appreciate it. We are actually about to talk some bow hunting here, uh, but first I want to remind everybody to come on out to the Rudy's Barbecue in Allen, Texas today. I'll be there from 10 to noon. Got lots of great stuff to give away. A Lone Star Outdoor Show uh, t-shirts and stickers, Dallas Safari Club, buck knives. Uh, who knows, we might have a Havilon knife for two, uh, maybe some Vortex optics caps, and we'll even raffle off a fishing trip with Captain Lynn. Gerard down on the Texas coast. So uh, come on out to Rudy's Barbecue in Allen, Texas, 10 to noon today. We'll talk some hunting and fishing and trade war stories, and I look forward to seeing everybody out there. Uh, without further delay, let's bring on our next guest. He is the president of the Pope and Young Club. We've got a lot to get into regarding the club's history, also record keeping and division among the hunting community. It's my pleasure to welcome Jim Willems to the show. Hey, Cable. How you doing? Oh, I can't complain. Doing what I love to do, talking hunting and fishing, and we are thrilled to have you and the Pope and Young Club as a part of the show today. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Well, Jim, a little bit about yourself, first of all. How long have you been a bow hunter? And then also talk about you know how long you've served as the president of the Pope and Young Club. Okay, well, I guess it's been about 35 years since I took up bow hunting, and uh <clears throat> Grew up in Kansas, uh, 
you know, and in, in the seventies in Kansas, uh, people don't realize it now, but at that time it was really hard to get a rifle tag to hunt deer. And, and if you were lucky and you drew a rifle tag, you weren't even eligible to apply the next year. Oh, wow. Uh, but you, but you could get a bow tag every year. You had to apply for it, but you could still get it every year. And, and, uh, I loved to hunt. I didn't want to wait a year after I drew a rifle tag when I was about 16. And so I took up bow hunting and it stuck. <laughs> and now that's what I do. Right. And, and, and uh, the, the other question, uh, I've been president of the Pope and Young Club for just a little over a year now. Uh-huh. So, uh, uh, not not real long, but it sure seems like it's been a long time. <laughs> right. Well, um, let's talk about the the club's history as far as you know how long the club has been around. Obviously, Pope and Young Club is synonymous with you know furthering uh, this great sport and heritage of bow hunting. Uh, but just take us back in time and and talk a little bit about that. Okay. Well, well, the the club was actually officially founded in 1961. So uh, you know we're what about 54 years now, mm-hmm. and and the the reason for the club was you know once again this is so far back people don't really realize what things were like but but at that time there just weren't very many bow only seasons um, they were almost non-existent there was a few states that had you know, active organizations that were able to get a few bow only seasons uh, but then there were a lot of states that, that didn't allow bow hunting period. Um, it, it wasn't considered a viable weapon. Mm-hmm. So uh, it was a group that, that was a, a big part of the NFAA, the National Field Archery Association, um, that was really into hunting that, that decided, you know, we needed to be able to show that people were actually successful with the bow. And if you give us a season and, and let us go out and hunt, that uh, it was a great recreational opportunity for people. So, so the club was originally founded to help open up opportunity is what it was all about. Hmm. And, and the, the records organization was created basically to show that we could be successful, to show how many animals were being killed and how many big animals were being killed. And the, the whole thing was so successful. Now, you know, we have bow-only seasons in every state and you know all over the world and and if you don't have bow only season at least you have the opportunity to hunt with bow in most of the other seasons so uh it 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 worked really well uh taking a national organization working with state organizations and local organizations and uh we just opened it up to to just about everybody mhm yeah and see i don't think a lot of people realize how much uh you know how instrumental the club has been in, like you said, um, getting a lot of those seasons opened up. Well, I mean, today it's just, you don't even think twice about it. You know, both seasons usually going to be longer than rifle season. You're going to have more opportunity. Um, but like you said, 50 years ago, uh, there weren't really even many bow seasons around. So I think a lot of people just associate the club with record keeping, but that's, uh, that's far from what, you know, it is at its core. So cool little tidbit there. Now uh, let's talk about the uh, and and you actually sought us out uh, to discuss um, some record keeping stuff after our interview with uh, Round Rock Mayor Alan McGraw, who uh, recently shot a, a huge desert bighorn sheep out in uh, in the West Texas mountains, and is uh, not only a, a Texas record, but um, it was the first uh, desert bighorn to be shot on public land with archery tackle in Texas. 
And, uh, and then I guess uh, somehow he went to the club or, you know, had, had inquired about entering it. And then the club was like, well, we don't, we don't recognize Texas Desert Bighorns. And, uh, and that wasn't any, anything other than just, uh, I guess, no one had ever tried to enter one. Well, that's just it. It's just, it's an oversight. And, and unlike a lot of species, when you have something like a, a desert bighorn, um, you have to determine what is the desert bighorn range and what is the Rocky Mountain bighorn range. And in some places, they're very close together. So at some point, I don't even know when. I don't know if anybody knows when those boundaries were, were written up um, where desert bighorn lives. Uh, Texas wasn't included. Well, that's because we didn't have, we, you know, we've had to restore these animals. It's been a very uh, successful endeavor by Texas Parks and Wildlife and Dallas Safari Club and, and the Te- Texas Bighorn Society, other organizations. Um, but, yeah, I mean, probably when those boundaries were drawn up, there, there wasn't a stable population of, of desert bighorns in Texas anyway. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that's the case. And, and you know, being a, a busy organization that has a lot going on, we we don't just randomly change boundaries because we think somebody might shoot something there. Really, the way it works is is we wait until somebody actually kills an animal like this this desert bighorn and uh, has it measured and sent in, and then then we look at it and say, oh oh wow, now we have something to deal with, and and that initiates the process, and it it goes through the record committee, and we also discuss it uh, consistently with Boone and Crockett Club. Um, If they've already acted on some boundary issues, then it it makes it easy for us. If they haven't, then we work together and and determine that uh, we know for certain, you know, it is a desert bighorn and not a Rocky Mountain bighorn. And, and, uh, you know, we just go through the process and and we change the boundaries. we just last year we dealt with the same thing. We actually started accepting uh, central barren ground caribou from Greenland, and kind of the same deal. We we knew there were caribou there, but until somebody actually shot one and tried to enter it in the books, um, there really wasn't a reason to do a lot of research to, right. for one, figure out what subspecies they were because we have five different species of caribou that we recognize. Um, but you know, also you need something to initiate that that conversation and get the ball rolling, and and it's part of the fun part of being in the club. You get to see these new things happening. Mm-hmm. No doubt, no doubt. Well, yeah, and and like we said, that uh, well, all it took was was Alan shooting that uh, that desert bighorn, and and now uh, I believe he plans on entering it. I'm not sure if he took the steps or not, but. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's one of those things where now we know, and and the next person, you know, well they'll just enter their their desert bighorn uh, like you know any other state. Um, now, um, and I do want to say we appreciate you guys being proactive as soon as y'all heard about it. Like we said, it didn't take us, you know, beating you over the head. You you sought us out and were like, hey, we want to just kind of explain how that process works. So we appreciate that too. Right, right. Yeah, and I, I look at every opportunity to, to explain what we're doing. Um, for some reason, there's just a lot of misinformation about the Pope and Young Club, and, uh, you know, it's it's up to us to get the message out. Mm-hmm. And that's what we're trying to do. Well, let's talk about something else. It's a little controversial, um, and, and this stems from a lot of Texas bow hunters who, uh, and, and I just read on forums, I see it on social media, they feel sometimes a little alienated 
by not just the Pope and Young Club, but by other bow hunters from, you know, let's say northwestern states, um, where there's a lot of big open country. It's easy to get tags for, you know, uh, public hunting opportunities, whether that's elk, mule deer, um, you know, whitetail, whatever. Texas, little different animal. It's 98% privately owned. And, uh, and here's the thing that a lot of people up north, uh, northwest, and, you know, other places probably don't realize is that the guys that put up high fences are not doing that because, um, you know, they're, they're in most cases trying to, uh, you know, shoot a 270-inch non-typical whitetail. They're doing that because they're tired of their neighbor shooting the first little three-year-old buck that walks out, and, you know, they're feeding, uh, you know, uh, supplemental feed year-round, the bill's going up, and they're trying to be good stewards of their land, and in doing so, they're trying to let, you know, animals reach a mature age. Well, people believe it, you know, it's all about growing big deer, which is a totally uh, different, you know, concept in and of itself. But, uh, but I just think there's that division uh, and, and and I don't think a lot of people understand the reality of, you know, Texas doesn't have big public hunting opportunities like a lot of other states. So, um, you know, what are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm like, I, I was like most of the rest of the, the northern and the northeast, uh, particularly whitetail hunters, who just simply didn't understand it. And, and you know, obviously the club has the rule where we don't um, – allow bucks to be entered into the record book that were taken behind a high fence. And, and that was something that was debated way back for a long time. And, and, you know, looking back at some of the notes, I, I know there was discussion about, well, okay, if, if the area is big enough, can, can we accept it? And, and I just really couldn't determine what was a big enough piece of property to be high fenced to where we could comfortably say that it was fair chase. Sure. And and so, so so that's one issue that that probably doesn't doesn't help your cause is just the fact that that you know we don't recognize trophies taken behind a high fence. And I'll be honest with you, I don't think you should. I I don't. I just yeah. Um, because it is it is different, and there there the animals whether it's you know 500 acres or 3,000, yeah, there's a fence there. Um, I've hunted high fence, low fence, no fence. You know, I hunt I, I hunt New Mexico elk, mule deer. Uh, I love it all. I don't care if there's a season, I'm going to be there. But I will tell you, I mean, there have been high fence situations that I found much more challenging than, say, going to sit in South Texas in, in a high density area and, you know, 10 bucks walk out in a Sendero and you can take your pick, you know. Um, so it's all relative to where you're hunting. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and I don't think any trophy taken behind a high fence would ever be as, uh, let's just say, I wouldn't feel as high of a sense of accomplishment as if it was. 100% fair chase, but I'm getting down to the core of it where these people, I think sometimes look down on, on whether it's Texas or Missouri or whoever else for folks that hunt behind a high fence. Um, and, and I just don't see that there's really a need for that or a place for that in this, in our hunting community, because that's what the anti hunters want is they want to see that wedge driven between us. And I think we all need to stick together and just kind of realize that, Hey, maybe somebody in Montana doesn't hunt the same way as somebody in Texas, but that doesn't make, you know, one way wrong or right or vice versa. Yeah, and you know you have a great point. It's it, it comes back down to education and communication. Mm-hmm. People just simply don't understand what's going on, and and you get a bad rap from the the unscrupulous people who have small acreages that dump big animals in, and mm-hmm. and somebody just walks in and 
and uh, they have the deer named and they shoot it, you know, within a couple hours. And, and that's, that's what people visualize when they think high fence hunting. Yeah. They think the small, the small property, they basically think deer farming where you can just go in and shoot anything if you have the right amount of money. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, sadly in the, in the Northeast, that's what high fence hunting is for the most part. There's not big enough pieces of property to make it like it is in Texas, mm-hmm. um, a, a more fair, fair endeavor. So, you know, I, I guess it's just education. I guess it's getting the word out and, and, you know, like you said, we are all hunters and, and as long as you're hunting ethically and, and, you know, getting out there and, and following the rules, then you know, we're all the same. Right. The, the hunters are all the same. The, the trophies, yeah, they can be considered different, but still it's, it's, it's all fun. Well, I like the response that you gave there. I mean, you obviously you're open-minded, um, and you understand that it is all relative. People don't hunt the same, uh, but you watch a show and, and I watch as many hunting shows as I can, but you tune into stuff like, uh, Eastman's bow hunting and you see guy Eastman close every show with, and remember fair chase is the only way to hunt and take trophy big game. And I just want to reach through the TV and slap him not because he doesn't know what he's doing or because he's uh, not a famous bow hunter because the guy's killed a ton of huge animals. He's obviously a, a great hunter. But what him or anyone else is doing is furthering that elitist attitude of, hey, I live out here in Montana or Idaho and I have thousands and thousands of public acres of, of land to hunt and that makes my way better than your way. Well, that's not the case. Uh, it really isn't, and uh, and I wish people in his position uh, would maybe open their eyes and see that uh, comments like that will never do anything uh, to really help the hunting community as a whole. Because make no mistake about it, there is a common enemy out there. It's PETA, it's the Humane Society, it's animal rights activist groups that would just assume that all hunting was kiboshed forever. And uh, and we need to you know keep the bullseye squarely on those groups instead of uh, beating each other up. Oh, I, I agree with that. Absolutely. Well, hey, uh, one more thing to mention here, uh, and I don't want to go off on a tangent too much there, uh, but I think that, that that topic is important. Uh, the Pope and Young Club, however, has their biannual convention coming up next weekend. Y'all were actually in Dallas two years ago. Uh, this is a great event, and uh, it's truly uh, going to be an awesome four-day weekend. Why don't you tell us a little bit about what's going on in Arizona next weekend? Um, it starts on the 15th, and, and this year it's in Phoenix. Um, we have it every other year, and it's our, our uh, awards banquet. Um, you know, Every other year we get together and we panel measure all of the, the biggest animals that, that had been entered the, the previous two-year period. And uh, those animals have already been measured, and and they will be on display uh, at Phoenix throughout the convention. The, it's a four-day convention, starts on Wednesday and ends on Saturday night. Um, and and it's a it's a huge event for us. It's our our major fundraiser um, that we have every other year. Uh, we have a big auction on Saturday afternoon, live auction. We have somewhere in the neighborhood of about 40 hunts that we're auctioning off a few of them will auction Friday night and a few Saturday night, but for the most part, it's a, it's a Saturday afternoon auction. Mm-hmm. We, uh, we have a huge raffle that's going on right now that, uh, includes 
five hunts. The first prize is a, a moose caribou brown bear combination hunt at uh, Rainy Pass Lodge in Alaska. Wow. Uh, just a fabulous hunt. And lots of gear were given away. And, and it's just, you know, it's a big deal. And, and for guys like me who have been to it, uh, you know, you can't say year after year because it's every other year thing. But Yeah, you but, were in uh, Dallas two years ago. We were in Dallas, yeah. And, and uh, my first one was in Tulsa in 1987. Wow. And I've been to most of them since then. So it's just, it's a great time of like-minded people. Um, some of the most successful bow hunters in the world will be there uh, just rubbing elbows with, with the new guy that walks in off the street. So, so it's a great time, and, and I appreciate you bringing that up. Um, you bet. There's, there's uh, still a few seats available for the Saturday night banquet, um, but if a guy doesn't want to go to that, you know, we you can walk in and look at the display and go to the seminars and and uh, there's a, a minor fee for registration, but uh, it's a great time. Well, if it's anything like it was in Dallas a couple of years ago, which uh, I know it will be, it certainly is going to be one heck of a great uh, event. Uh, Jim, just wrapping things up here, what do you have on the books for uh, this upcoming fall as far as you know hunts that you are really looking forward to? Well, uh, this, this year's kind of unusual for me. I don't have anything booked. Um, mainly because the, this club business has taken up so much time. I I had nine hunts last year that I kind of overdid it and uh, spent a little too much money. Right now I have uh, one black bear tag in my pocket that uh, it's a spot and stock hunt, and I'll probably hunt Sitka Blacktail in Alaska in August. And other than that, it's uh, wait and see what I draw. Right. right and, and I... I kind of like a lot of the western hunters I, I send in about 40 applications a year and there's two or three that i usually get every year wyoming antelope i've done that for the last nine years um i'm a lifetime resident of kansas so i, I have that guaranteed so i have these four or five hunts that i can do every year and with any luck i'll get a sheep tag or a goat tag or a moose tag somewhere <laughs> and well, I hope you draw one, my friend. Uh, yeah, I uh, I put in for New Mexico elk and mule deer again, and man, I missed a, a nice bull last year uh, with my bow. So hoping to make amends and have everything fall into place uh, this fall if we are lucky enough to draw again. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of fun. I did not draw a New Mexico elk tag last year. I, I draw about every third year being a resident, um, but I, I hope I get one this year. They're, they are so much fun. Yes, indeed. Well, hey, Jim, thanks so much for your time. Uh, folks can check out the club's website at pope-young.org. That's correct. Hey, appreciate you, Jim. Take care, brother. All right. Well, good hunting. So there he goes, avid bow hunter and Pope and Young Club president, Jim Willems. Uh, thanks to Jim for joining us today, as well as our other guests. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Uh, thanks to Michael Waddell for being here and Greg Pavor of Pavor Outdoors. Coming up uh, next week, we will have the great James McMurtry with us. We'll take a listen to a couple tunes off of his latest record, also talk some uh, some deer hunting and fishing with James. Uh, also, R. Lee Ermey, you probably know him from Full Metal Jacket. He is the uh, drill sergeant on that uh, famous Stanley Kubrick movie. He'll be here as well, and uh, we'll get into his latest show on Outdoor Channel 
So you'll want to make sure you tune in for another great show next week. Uh, thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying y'all have a great week in the outdoors. Mama, I'm searching every night and day. I'm looking for the means to pay for all the. Rest.